Hi folks, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm really excited about Sagebrush Wisdom and I hope you are too. If you can, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thank you. Welcome to Sagebrush Wisdom. I'm here with Josh Phillips of Spawn Flyfish. He's one of the co-owners and co-founders of a fly shop up on the coast of Washington who also runs a large online retail store for fly tying materials. So uh, Josh has a lot of fishing knowledge to share, but also quite a life of adventure. And so I'm really excited to be interviewing him today. Um, We're going to be talking about some fun stuff all the way to uh, catching albacore tuna and uh, even a bluefin tuna um, on a fly rod, I believe. So uh, without further ado, um, Josh, uh, can you tell me a little bit of your fishing background? We're going to kind of go a little chronological um, did you start fly fishing when you're young or did you start fishing no. in a different way? Yeah, no, I did not start fly fishing when I was young. It's something I gravitated towards later in life, but I have always fished if that makes sense. So father was a fisheries biologist growing up for the state of Washington. Um, so I was thrown right into the mix from an early age. He initially started at, uh, Idaho fishing game where we lived, um, fished there a ton as a kid and all growing up uh every vacation revolved around fishing or camping trip not really vacation but uh yeah no it started at a really young age and then uh progressed into fly fishing as i got older Um, so with you um growing up did you move from idaho to the coast or it looks like from what i can tell your dad was very interested in salmon fishing, which my dad was also very interested in salmon fishing. So that's how I kind of grew up uh, fishing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I moved to Western Washington in fourth grade. Um, so I've been, been out here for a long time. Uh, was born in Edmonds. Then we moved to Idaho and then we came back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't really gone all that long, but every, even in, while we lived in Idaho growing up, we would still come out to the coast um, to where we're at today right now, uh, mm-hmm. where Spawn is located, to fish for salmon. Um, so, yeah, that that started off really young, targeting that species um, in the saltwater and as they migrated into the freshwater. Mm-hmm. So for you, was it like a every weekend your dad and family were getting in the car together to all go fish and then in your days after school, you'd go out and fish on your own. It seems like when I think of you, you are always fishing somehow, some way. (laughs) No, yeah, that's very true. There's like, my buddies always joke, like if there's fish in the ditch underneath I-5, like Josh will find them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, yeah, so about... I mean, the answer to that question would be yes. Um, but I did end up 
uh, playing soccer, which ended up taking a lot of my time. But as a kid, I, I would go down with my grandma and fish off the dock at Carline Beach, uh, mm-hmm. Shiner Perch, Cutthroat, uh, and a lot of dogfish, a lot of little <laughs> sharks. Uh, but no, like, every opportunity I could, I could squeeze in, um, especially prior to me really jumping into soccer, I would be spending it on the water, whether it's with my family or just by myself down where I can find fish. Did you, when you were a kid, want to fish every day or play soccer every day? Because obviously, I didn't mention this, but you played professional soccer for the Timbers. So you obviously dedicated a lot of your time to being good at soccer. But maybe you didn't think you could make money fishing, but it sounds like you could also you could also have wanted to say, hey, I want to make a living in fishing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I didn't want to be a fisher fisherman when I grew up. I wanted to be a soccer player. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was something that uh, has evolved as I've gotten older. Um, and, but it, from day one, it was like, no, I was all in on something. And, and that's kind of like what I've taken into basically every aspect of my life. It's like, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Might, as well, might as well jump in with two feet, you know. Yeah, I really appreciate that in seeing you of running a business full-fledged. Like, you'll be on your phone at, you know, responding to requests on Spawn at 7.30 in the morning, 9.30 at night. Yeah, You're always around, but also you balance it with being like, oh, I went off and fished the jetty this afternoon on the rising tide or the lowering tide and caught a salmon or some rockfish or this or that. And it seems like you're always (laughs) busy, but you're always 100% present at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's been, it's, it's really challenging, frankly, is like, uh, is to ensure. So when you join the fly fishing industry, there, there's always like this inside joke of like, yeah, your, your days of fishing are over, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm you're more or less just a retailer. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've made it a priority of mine and of our company to like, not let that happen. Yeah. Like we still need to be, we still need to be the people that fish. We we, it has to be at the forefront of what we do. Mm-hmm. We can't lose, lose that element of what we do. We don't want to be the one, the person that does something one time and then does like a YouTube video on it. You know, like we want to be the person that, that knows it and lives it and breeds it. And I think that we've figured out that we can do those things within like a close radius to wherever we're located. Mm-hmm. Like we can get away if we can find a fishery, like there's every fishery within like 40 minutes of where I live. Like yeah. we, we know, you know, and that's, yeah. that's really important. I think to us, we don't, we don't have the luxury of traveling, uh, across the country or across the globe, but, uh, but we do ensure that we we do all these different fisheries and and all the while like stay connected with that idea of like yes we're on the water and yes we're here to help you. So I think that that is very interesting because a lot of people maybe don't fully understand the fisheries around them. Mm-hmm. And I live in Southern California now, and a lot of people to some degree kind of gripe about and I do it too 
if I want to fly fish, it's six hours to Mammoth. But if I really want to fly fish, it's right down the street in Newport Harbor. You yeah, know, which and, is really fun. I've done that. I've done that down there. It's really right? fun. So like sand bass. It's that's cool. There's sand bass. There's uh, corbina. There's croaker. Yeah. There's halibut. All these fish that fight a lot harder than a trout. <laughs> and it's right here in our backyard. Yeah. Unconventional species on a fly is what I love. That's yeah. really cool. Like we'll get we'll get into that very quickly because uh, I. That's my true passion in the fishing world is obviously having adventure, but finding normalized adventure that is, hey, I have a life. Like maybe yeah. I'm not going all the way to Idaho or Montana, yeah, but I'm having fun and getting the most out of fishing that I can because yeah. it's here, you know? After uh, you moved out to Western Washington, you went back to school in uh, Spokane at Gonzaga. Yep. Did you start fishing again more than, is that when fly fishing turned on? No, I mean, I, when I was playing at Gonzaga, I, I was really invested in the idea. Like, yes, I wanted to get really good grades and, and learn while I was there and be a part of everything that is Gonzaga, but I at this point I was like, I'm going, I'm going to be a pro soccer player. Like mm -hmm. that was, mm -hmm. that was the idea. So I, ne you know, I never really left campus and that's like yeah. one thing to think back on. It's like, I never went to Schweitzer for like any of the like snow days yeah. festivals or like, I never went camping on the weekend, like not once in mm -hmm. my whole four years at Gonzaga, did I go camping with college buddies on the weekend, which is like, sounds so crazy to say that now because it's like, something that I've done so much since I've graduated. But, uh, but I mean, the, I was working really hard at obtaining that goal that I set for mm -hmm. myself. And I, yeah, I just, it just didn't, just didn't resonate. I mean, I, I just would rather like party and then wake up and get to work again in the gym or mm -hmm. kicking the ball against the wall. So I think when you have a big vision, a lot of times, you can look back and maybe have regret because you've grown up a little bit and been like, man, I'm actually not playing soccer anymore when I wish I could have been or something Yeah. or been like, Oh, I wish I would have maybe not gone to the gym on a Saturday morning. Yeah. So I could have gone fly fishing, you know, in quarter lane or something like that. But, uh, what's funny is when you're going after a heavy, big goal, that narrow focus really separates, I think, a lot of people from getting their goal and not getting it. You know, that yeah. unadulterated drive to just say, I can't sleep until I get X. A hundred percent. Yeah. And uh I and I don't and I don't have any regrets, you know, it's like, yeah, I definitely sacrificed a lot of things. Um, but I mean my the life thus far I've lived is like outside casting uh, at that stupid chum salmon and hurting my shoulder has been yeah. pretty sweet. Like, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, very, very grateful for it. But I mean, all the, all the while I like know what I gave to make that happen. And I also mm -hmm. like, remember it. It's not, it's not that long ago that I was playing. So like, mm -hmm. 
I've definitely tried to bring that over into what I do today. That that's mm-hmm. definitely a huge plays a huge factor of waking up every morning and like ensuring that do something to make us mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So you played at the Timbers for a couple of seasons. So I went to Gonzaga, uh, didn't get drafted. Then, uh, got picked up in usl pro which is like triple a baseball equivalent still very okay. much pro, full salary um i played in colorado springs um and that's when i really really that's when i started fishing like 1500 hours a year or something i don't mm-hmm. know how, like disgusting number <laughs> like every single second um and then uh and then i finished in in portland um that was like three years ago so i played five years after after I graduated uh, from Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So when did uh, soccer start taking a backseat and when did Spawn Flyfish become your yeah, dream? So the, uh, last year I was playing, I injured my sciatic nerve. Uh, and at that point, I, re- I, I kind of knew, you know, I, I went to the Timbers to, I didn't want to be like a lifelong triple a mm-hmm. baseball player or usl player for those that getting the reference uh it's just like wasn't it wasn't something i wanted to do like i wanted to play in the major league level yeah so the move to uh portland was like this is i'm i'm going for it sort of move mm-hmm. and if it doesn't work out like this is where it, this is when i'm gonna shift my focus yeah uh and and it wasn't something that like I'll look back on and be like, wow, that was a dumb move. Like I could still be playing in Colorado or I could Mm -hmm. play at a different club. Uh, But that's at that point I got injured. um, And leading up to that, I, I played a whole bunch of games and I only, I think I only played like 14 games that season for the Timbers Uh, Mm -hmm. started off. I was captaining the team and then got the injury and then just like never really got back. Um, Last year I had my last injection into it, so it's feeling it's feeling a little better. Uh, mm-hmm. This is like two years removed from the game. Yeah. Uh, and that on that off season, I kind of knew like <clears throat> I had some offers, but they weren't great to keep playing. And I was like, okay, <clears throat> when you think about uh, companies and individuals and in companies that like truly make it, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times they're doing that, and they're uh in their late 20s yeah like you have the bandwidth to stay up all night uh and wake up early and and i didn't have i don't have uh other distractions so i was like okay well i'm 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 gonna give this a go like this is Mm -hmm. this is the moment so yeah that's awesome so with a spawn there's four of you who co-founded it is that correct Correct. Yeah. And those were all high school buddies or, um, yeah. So two of them are high school buddies, uh, Gab and Jen, and then Pete, uh, uh, is not a high school buddy, but a friend that I met later in life. That's awesome. So instantly after the timbers, you return home to the coast of Washington and forgive me because I should know how to say this, but is it Ilwaka? Ilwaka. Ilwaka. 
Waco. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you move back there and it, I started, I moved to Olympia. Oh, well, Olympia. Where, yeah. Olympia. And then I moved to a Waco like two years ago now. That's where we okay. transit the shop down to a Waco. Okay. Awesome. So, um, you, it seems like you start fishing again for salmon, lean cod, Oh yeah. Rockfish, all sorts of fish. I ran through your Instagram page and got pretty far back. And I'm like, I didn't know you could catch a link cod on a fly rod. If you, if you, you have flies on and you hook it and then just leave it there for a while. I've, I've landed two link cod one time. <laughs> leave it there. The rest of them come up to see what's going on. Yeah, so tell me just a brief introduction of how to catch a lean cod. Because I've gone uh, lean cod fishing around Orcas Island before. And I just remember using a big lead head with a grub. And you drop it down. And you let it slam on the bottom. And then you wait. And then you pick it back up and you let it drop again. And you're hoping that that lean cod kind of shoots out from their hole and grabs it but a fly can't be three pounds heavy to drop down you know 200 feet or whatever yeah so the the interesting thing about a lingcod is a lingcod's not always in a cave or a den uh a lingcod will come up into that center column to fish or hunt basically you know and Mm. uh so we've primarily fish for them on structures and i haven't been up to north sound where they target them like where you were but mm-hmm. i mean we use we use grubs and jigs when we're out like 200 feet of water we don't fly fish in 200 feet of water mm-hmm. uh, but there's a couple of rock structures out in uh off the coast here <clears throat> where you're talking about a rock face that comes up out of the water and then 100 feet away from it it's 85 to 100 feet deep so it's just like the sheer cliff yeah. Um, so you're casting these sinking lines and as they come down and sink into the water uh, and hit different columns, you just kind of like look over at your buddy and you're like, all right, ready. And then you take a big hard strip and then wait again. And then you just kind of retrieve that fly. And if you don't catch one, you just wait a little longer. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And you were using really heavy sinking lines. Um, and then we do it off the jetty too, but I haven't caught a whole bunch of lingcod off the jetty, but I have caught some lingcod. I would like to go to Northern California where the water's a little calmer uh, mm-hmm. and do some of that down there. I, I follow a lot of guys that have success off the jetties um, and I've seen some pretty cool stuff and it just like looks way, just like looks way friendlier down there. Yeah. Than, I mean, we're, <laughs> the jetty uh, I'm fishing is like the Columbia River bar is one of the deadliest bars in in the world you know it's just mm-hmm. like not it's generally not nice but it can be really really cool so i used to surf out there when i lived in washington or yeah. in seattle and we would wait for the surf to come down not wait for surf to come up no you it know? nasty like it, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've had some like pretty scary moments like being like oh well, this was dumb like <laughs> I've, I've fallen on the jetty i've fallen off the jetty too which is very scary uh, I mean, you've seen some of the videos where I'm like, I hook a coho and it just decides to run down the jetty. I also yeah. hook a couple of Chinook, like big Chinook off the jetty where it's just like, you got to move like, yeah. Uh, and you're like, 
just hopping down the rocks and just like it's just a disaster that's but so it, fun yeah the the link hot though to get back to what you're asking like they're not always they're not always down on in the rocks like you can get mm -hmm. them to come out and especially if uh if you're fishing some of those structures that aren't crazy uh deep you can have a lot of success on a fly like it's not a it's not a species that like if we went out there on a calm day and we're like oh we're gonna catch a lingcod i'd be like yeah we're probably gonna catch a lingcod it's not like a mm -hmm. something crazy attainable uh i guess it's a very doable doable task given the conditions right yeah yeah uh, and it's not it's not like it's just on the you don't have to have the biggest fly either that's like a pretty common misconception is like oh do i need a 12 inch fly like you're fishing for a muskie and it's like no mm -hmm. you definitely don't i mean a big fly does does help get the attention and uh a big fly generally can't get swallowed by some of the littler rockfish, which is, yep. which live in the same area, which helps. Um, but you don't need something crazy. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to read a quote from one of your photos where you're holding a halibut. And yeah. it says, I'm a firm believer that understanding different fisheries and techniques will make you an all around better angler. Whether I'm using an electric reel or a three pound and a three pound pipe jig or a three weight rod and a size 20 atoms, I want to understand it all. And I think uh, Spawn actually does a fantastic job at bringing imagination to a fly tire to understand fishing in a different way. Yeah, you guys have a lot of photos of, at, you know, parachute atoms and stone flies and a lot yeah. of kind of the basic flies. And then you have these, I want to call them like leech patterns and prawn yeah. patterns and all sorts of stuff that starts making you think differently about how to fish. And so right now I'm learning more about the conventional side of fishing on the West coast, yep. surface iron, swim jigs, live bait, even all that oh, yeah. stuff. And I've noticed a big change in how I think about fishing, even for trout because of instincts, calories, you know, but being yeah. able to use a, small kind of like prawn pattern or shrimp pattern for these rockfish and also being able to catch a lingcod kind of goes back and forth to you don't have to throw a nine inch swim swim bait to catch a 10 pound bass you know which some people yeah. think that that's the only way you're going to catch big fish yeah and that's not not always the case no, I, I think that that brings up a really good point. And, and I think that we do try to really understand those fisheries. It's like <clears throat> presenting a fly is really important, but if you don't know how or when or where, then it like does you no good. And, and that's something that like a lot of these ocean fisheries or just fisheries in the Pacific Northwest in general that I spent a lot of time participating in, whether it's with an electric reel fishing for halibut out the edge of the Astoria Trench or we're fishing for rockfish with uh, like irons or jigs like you are, mm -hmm. um, you know, you learn where they're at or how to catch them. 
and then you then you go back home and you're like okay how heavy of a grain line do i need to get there like what mm -hmm. fly looks as close to whatever you were using that worked the best and and then in time of year and all these other factors that that play a role in like whether or not you are successful uh and a lot of times we like think back to that uh or look at that and be like determine how we're going to either mm -hmm. create a product that we've done or create dubbings that we've done and and all these things that we try to bring into the fly world and i mean we we don't live in a area where they're like, Oh, this is the fly fishing Mecca of the United yeah. States. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> like, so we're, we're looking to bring people into the sport, you know? And, and that's, and, and a part of that is, is connecting with those, those individuals. And the easiest way to connect with those individuals is to not push them away, but to rather bring them in and kind of talk the language and be like, Oh yeah. Like I, I know what it, what it's like pouring, a pipe jig in the garage and throwing a huge treble on it. And mm -hmm. then I tried a bunch of feathers on the back of that treble and halibut season. And it was epic. I caught more yeah. than everybody else in the boat. And then, and then just like little, little tidbits here and there that then they're like, Oh, you know, like I, I would like to catch and release sea run cutthroat on flies that I tied in my backyard mm -hmm. stream. I think that'd be really fun. And then you, and then you just, it just perpetuates the sport and brings more people into what we're trying to do. So I think that's, that's been something that we definitely try to push is like whether you fly fish or not is pretty irrelevant, frankly, like mm -hmm. you want to cater to the top tier fly fishing angler. And also the person that's like talks shit on it, you know, like yeah. we yeah. Bring, bring them both into the shop. Exactly. Like I, I, want, I want them both and bring them both at the same time. Like, <laughs> yeah. like a, it's, it's pretty fun. And I, and those are the conversations like I really look forward to in the shop when somebody comes in and they're like, Oh, fly shop. And I'm just like, Yahtzee, like mm -hmm. this guy's going to leave, this guy's going to leave here and be like, you know what? I'm, I might, he, he might not leave with a rod and reel, but he's going to leave like wondering, like, you know what? Maybe, maybe that kid's onto something. So do you ever go out to the jetty, uh, with a conventional reel, like a spinning setup or. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're uh -huh. probably like the only fly shop in the pacific northwest like if at the front of the shop there's like spinning rod spinning rod and then like eight fly rods rigged up that's like, awesome i i also like, saw a photo on your instagram where it has conventional i think it was like pen internationals or something and then your fly rods right next to it and yep. i just love that photo because i think a lot of times people get into fly fishing and then they kind of become a I only Wanna, fly fish yeah, type of guy. Yeah, and sure. I'm like, no, like I like bass fishing. I like offshore fishing. I want to get better at offshore fishing right now because yeah. the bluefin have never been around or they haven't been around like this. I will spend all my money going for yeah. those bluefin because they might not be here next year. The trout yeah. and mammoth, they're going to be here for years to come. <laughs> yeah. We just became a Shimano dealer. So we stocked like, a gross number of flat balls. Uh, That's awesome. During the season. Uh, you know, we'll start, we'll start stocking some like Talica reels and Trevally rods and stuff like that to really, really yeah. hone it, tune a game. So, so it seemed like a, I noticed that a lot of the knife jigs and flat falls are starting to put like a little tinsel and a feather on mm -hmm. them. Oh yeah. And so 
I, I don't I mean, know I'm the sure exact. Rapala is like one of the biggest buyers of fly tying equipment. Like I don't know that, but I would love to have the Rapala account that like ties oh, on, yeah. on the hooks after it. You know, like <laughs> you think about how many of those guys are making on that. It's like there's elements to both. There's such a big crossover that's generally missed, and it's just like. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, I think uh, another shop that does a really good job at it is like Schultz Outfitters in the Midwest. Like they, they do a lot of cool stuff like that on their local fisheries. And we, we have a similar like mm-hmm. style in that. Uh, and it's like, no, you, yeah. Like all my spinners, all my, uh, I mean, they come with a seawater, they, they come with a treble on it. Like a blue fox comes with a treble on it. I cut the uh-huh. treble off and then they have a seawash hook i put the sea wash hook in the vice and then i'm like crystal flash rabbit you know i'm yeah. like yeah i'm spicing i'm spicing that uh thing up it's like it's not just the standard blue fox when i'm out there casting it totally and a lot of times in fishing that little bit of difference makes a huge difference you For know sure. yeah. um i think of why people are tying that tinsel and feathers onto those flat falls this year is because they think it's going to be the next hot ticket, you know, and it's so nice to know that I can just buy whatever and tie it on myself and be off to the races. Yeah. It's really cool. And you're like, Oh, I mean, any, anything where you have like a, a bigger connection with it is, is always really cool. It's Mm -hmm. like, if you you have a bigger hand in it and i think that's why a lot of people like fly fishing is because there's like so intuitive mm-hmm. in that way it's like <clears throat> you're really connected with it yeah but you can also be connected in other ways to other other fisheries yeah i feel ways- like uh throwing a surface iron and presenting that is the same exact feeling mm-hmm. that i get when i'm drifting a dry fly down the river oh yeah and and somebody that argues with you has probably never caught a tuna so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is not like tuna fishing is as cool as it gets. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, talk about albacore for a second. Um, yeah. So you go out and go albacore fishing with your fly rod, correct? Um, You've... So, so I haven't actually caught an albacore. I've caught yellowtail and yellowfin on fly rod. Uh, oh, okay. Last year was my first full summer here. So we do some stuff with Nick Clayton who catches a bunch of albacore. He's a guide out of Westport and he's like the okay. only guy that I know that does like full fly trips. So this summer was my first summer outside of playing where I could be in Owaco and dedicate time to it. Um, and there's like the albacore scene that this year on the Washington coast was just bad. Like it was just, mm-hmm. just a really bad year. It was great for salmon. Um, so the couple opportunities that we got, um, to present flies to it like one mm-hmm. of them that i like remember really vividly is like we get a good we get a good bait stop going and the the fish are coming up and <clears throat> caught one on on a flat fall and we're still catching them on live bait and i grab the fly rod out of the out of the rack as you brought up earlier uh and i cast a fly out there and i'm stripping it and this freaking blue shark comes up underneath the boat and just <laughs> smokes my fly and i'm just like oh. and there was a there was an albacore like i there was albacore like that was looking at it because you can see yeah. him on the boat like it's a very yeah. visual tree um and like, oh man it was so disappointing <laughs> that's so funny you're like but i got so close i did uh, catch a like 32 pounds uh yellowfin tuna on a fly rod though which was really rad uh so with that and catching big pelagics versus 
like a tarpon or permit, the way that you fight it seems a lot different. And I have a nine weight for saltwater, but yeah. are you using like a 12 weight or yeah, what's kind of your, your setup and approach? Yeah. So I, I, I think I have more 12 weights than any other rod actually, which is just disturbing. Uh, but uh, yeah, so a 12 weight, you could use a 10 weight. Sometimes we bring a 10 weight, uh, mm-hmm. but 12 weight would be what I would recommend um, for albacore or for any tuna of, of that mm-hmm. matter. Like I've caught some small little uh, yellowtail, and even on a 12 weight, they I mean, it's still, it's, if these fish fight, you know, they don't yeah. stop moving ever. Those, those yellowtail, they fight, they just bury themselves so hard and so quickly so it's like a fly rod in my head we catch bonito calico things like that i don't know if you know von podmore um he runs the huntington beach uh charter or like i guess trip out to catalina they fish for um bonito a lot okay but uh bonito obviously it's like a, are a lot jacket. smaller. Uh huh. Yeah. They're a lot smaller than a tuna. And my big worry is like, if somehow I caught a yellowtail, it's just so much to get it, to get your rod to fight it versus yeah. like, you know, your conventional setup where it's still hard. Like, it's still hard having almost like a yeah rail rod, so, you know. So tuna, you need like lifting power. Like, I've never mm-hmm. caught a permit or a tarpon but you see those i see those runs on online and they're like swimming like w- way away from the boat whereas mm-hmm. like a lot of times you look at tuna and it just goes like straight freaking down yeah and it's yep. like you got you're gonna have to have lifting power on that rod it's gonna have to have a backbone uh, mm-hmm. so that's that's like part of it you know it's like it's not it's not gonna like torpedo out of the water yeah and go like a hundred yards straight out Mm-hmm. Like it's, it might go out of ways, but then it's going to go down. Yeah. You're going to have to lift. And that's, that's generally when a rod gets broken. I've broke some rods trying to lift. With a, my big goal this summer is it sounds like it's changing from La Nina to El Nino. And with the warmer water, the Dorado come up a lot higher. Yeah. There's some that were washington coast last or like two years ago like they that. fight a lot more like tarpon or something where they jump a lot and so okay. from what i've heard is it's i'm much more excited to try to catch a dorado on a fly rod than a tuna I mean, are pretty sweet. tuna is pretty cool you yeah I mean... <laughs> you're like the ultimate badass if you catch a tuna on a fly rod that's yeah that's the truth <laughs> There's this, there's this guy down there, like Mason, uh, his name's Mason, and he uh, used to buy a bunch of like spawn heads and stuff like that, and he caught mm-hmm. a big bluefin on the That's fly rod. That's awesome. It was, like, it was so cool. We've caught, we caught a bluefin in the boat here in Washington. Uh, my father caught it, but it was like 12 pounds or something like that. It was really small. We don't get the big ones that you guys mm-hmm. get down there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I I am coming to San Diego next November on a bluefin trip again. Uh, this this last year when we went, we ended up just catching yellow uh, yellowfin, which were really fun to catch. Mm-hmm. And I got to do it on a fly rod, which was really cool. Um, 
but yeah, those I would like to catch a Dorado too, but I I I don't know. Tuna are pretty sweet. I know. I know. But the idea of like casting at like kelp patties and stuff like that, like that aspect of it's really fun. Whereas like mm -hmm. for these tuna, you don't you don't have like a target. You're not like, okay, I need to cast to that kelp patty and let it drop. At least yeah. out here. I mean, there's some kelp patties out here where we'll catch like I don't know what mackerel species they are, but we've done that on fly rod and it's like it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Uh there's usually blue sharks that hang around and this this summer I I truly I mean my shoulder's pretty screwed, but I do plan on uh getting out and doing some of that stuff or at least driving the boat out to that some of the yeah. stuff and letting people try and get after it. You're you might have to learn how to cast left handed. Oh, I, I, I think I've already got it down. I've been doing it in the parking lot a lot. Like, I can I can like switch mid arm, like Good. double haul back and then hand it to my right hand and then double haul forward and then switch yeah. it back. So, yeah, I've been some at some point it'll be really cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or somebody be like, You're an idiot. I'll well, I just two. saw uh Remy Warren who does a lot of the big game elk hunting in New Mexico and Colorado, places like that. And he hurt his shoulder pulling back a bow. I think, I think it was from pulling back a bow. So yeah. he learned how to pull it back with his mouth and shoot oh. his bow that way. It just that was that seemed that doesn't seem like an easier solution than using. I know. <laughs> it seems although weird. like you're you're having to sight your different eye. I don't know. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Left-handed is definitely doable. I mean, it's. It kind of makes sense. Like I, I read some of these things or see some of these things on the like guys that are like legends in the sport. And a lot of them can cast with both hands. Mm -hmm. Well, at some point casting from a boat uh, versus the shore, you have to learn how to cast behind you. You have to learn how yeah. to cast kind of in a 360. Really important. Yeah. You have mm -hmm. to build and, and, and a long ways too. Yeah. And sea, there's no better way to practice that than fishing for sea and cutthroat in the salt water. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. so with uh, your kind of priority species, would you rather catch a uh, rockfish or a uh, steelhead? I mean, steelhead are pretty fun to catch. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I like going out rockfish. I, uh, that's a tough question. I mean, I'm not like a, steel, <laughs> I'm not like a steelhead guy and like, Spawn isn't like a isn't like a steelhead fly shop and and uh i mean it, it like all the tragedies that are like surrounded around that fishery mm -hmm. right now it's like we aren't reliant on that and we never yeah. have them. uh yeah. we do go out and catch them uh but it's not something that's like I don't know. It's, I, I like doing the rock. I think I'd probably go if, if you were like, Hey, the ocean's flat, want to go out and cast flies at the rocks or like the mm -hmm. river, the river is the right level to go catch steelhead. I'd probably be like, let's send it offshore. Like, yeah. Uh, I just like being out there. Mm -hmm. Although this year I saw, uh, it was actually nuts. I caught a wild steelhead and then I literally walk up the river and I turn and there's a cougar looking right at me like i made eye contact with it it was nuts oh man it was like probably 25 30 feet away from me like within 10 minutes of ourselves so i saw i caught a wild steelhead and saw a cougar it was like it doesn't really get more wild than that i love the washington coast and i feel like there's a part of me that's missing because i can't 
go back there right now. You know, the Oregon coast from Cannon Beach up to Westport is just, it's it's one of my favorite places and I wish I got to fish it more. Um, but it's a cool place. It's very wild. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of the places where I'm going to, it's like, man, somebody, somebody had to really work to get back here, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. You know, like some of these streams and, uh, and whatnot are, are not big, but they're like, you got to really walk into them or, or hike into them basically. Mm -hmm. And it's creates a pretty cool opportunity for somebody like myself. That's willing to do that. It does seem like, as you kind of said earlier, a lot of the fishing that you do is within a 40 mile stretch of where yeah. you are. But it also seems like when you go out with your uh, AquaTech camera and you, <laughs> you go out for a while to get to where you want to fish. Yeah. I, th- I feel like you understand fish a lot more than the average fisherman, which is good because you own a fly fishing shop, but you, it doesn't seem like when you fish, other people are around you. You go up and up and up river to those kind of spots where you're like, I think fish will be here. For sure. Yeah. And and they're like, I I don't fish with that many people. I would like to fish with more people, especially as, as uh hopefully i like get to a point where spawn is like somewhat self-sustainable and i don't have to be here all the time uh but like my schedule it's like okay today nobody wants to buy anything from us so i'm gonna go fishing for two hours (laughs) like where can i go and where is gonna be really cool and like most most people don't have like the luxury of like hitting up my buddy and being like Hey, I know it's one o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, but can you go fishing for two hours? It's like, no, like that's mm-hmm. so like that lends itself to like putting myself in situations and like going different places and stressing my girlfriend out quite a bit, but uh-huh. she was always like, after a mountain lion's looking you in the <laughs> yeah, eyes, <laughs> she always goes, what should I worry? And I say tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you have a lot of friends in Ilwaco or are you kind of there with your girlfriend and your dogs or? Yeah. So we moved here during COVID. So we did like the exact opposite of what everybody in the world did. We opened a retail store during COVID uh, versus going online. Like the vast majority of uh, retail did. Um, So when you move somewhere during that time period, especially as a young individual, like, Mm -hmm we were pretty isolated. Like we didn't make, we have a lot, we've made some like a core group of friends now, but Mm -hmm. for the first year of living here, I mean, it was like pretty, it was pretty tough, you know, not very many friends. My buddies from Olympia would come down. uh, But yeah. And then, and then now Pete lives here. uh, One of my partners, uh, he moved out here from Arizona. So like now we fish together a lot, which is awesome. But before Mm -hmm. that, like, couple people would come out to the jetty with me here and there and then be like oh damn like i don't i don't know (laughs) i don't know if this is my scene uh uh, or like i like drag them back into the mountains and they're like what time are we going to be back and generally when you ask that you don't get invited back 
Yeah. <laughs> Be like, uh, it's getting kind of dark right now. Yeah. Uh, there's, I... there's like, yeah. And, and I got, like, I got some people now that are like awesome and I, and I, we've made some good friends and, and whatnot, but definitely moving here during COVID and like not like getting to know people very well was, was definitely a pretty big challenge, like moving somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's funny how COVID kind of affected everybody in different ways, but yeah, in that time where a lot of people were isolated, you're physically isolated, even by miles, not just your house, you know, and for sure. Yeah. Learning how to be with yourself when it's dark and it's cold it's and quiet. it's in the, the winter, wild. <laughs> the, winter in, the winters in Western Washington are quiet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's so cool. Um, so I have one question for you. I think I know the answer, but who writes, um, the thank you notes when somebody purchases, uh, material from you? So I've written a lot of them. I would say probably the most of them. Uh, Mm -hmm. so it's either me or Pete, uh, Mm -hmm. and then McKenna, she worked for us for a while. She had foot surgery. We're really hoping to get her back. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been one of the owners, since day one so we've written a handwritten note whether you order a spool of thread or Mm -hmm. an nrx uh yeah doesn't it's it's all really appreciated and that's like something that we like really hone in and it's not even about the note like Mm -hmm. it's about showing that we'll give you our time because i think that's the most valuable thing you can give somebody Mm -hmm. so it's like it only takes like 30 seconds to say thank you you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it and it might might seem redundant to the people that have ordered from us so well, but maybe, but I but I don't know because I think that they're like okay, he's still after all this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they as a company after all this time? They're like, we'll still take the take the time because that's all it is. Like, yeah, the only reason people wouldn't do that, in my opinion, is because they think it's a waste of time. And mm-hmm. I think that right there is such a flawed idea in business. Uh, it's just like, and we're not a corporation, like, right. not like talking about like, I got to get a private jet because I got to fly across the country because it saves time. Like not mm-hmm. the case. Like I haven't, I have never, I haven't even wrote myself a single paycheck working for Spawn. Mm-hmm. So it's like that idea that you're willing to give somebody the time, then they know when they call, they're like, or they know when they come into the shop, mm-hmm. Hey, if I want, if I drive out to the coast of Washington and I want to learn about catching a lingcod or catching a rockfish, like, are they going to, are they going to take the time in the shop to, to work with me? And the answer to that like, should be very apparent mm-hmm. in my, or at least that's the goal. I have talked to a lot of people about this. And, um, as I've been starting the podcast, it seems to be coming up a lot more, but obviously the kind of history or historical stereotype of a fly fisherman is very elite and non-approachable. Yeah. Fly shops, I think have always been somewhat friendly, but that simple idea of people feel very intimidated around fly fishing. Yeah. It's funny how a note of somebody saying, thank you. One provides loyalty. So, I bought, I think, my first package from you guys right as COVID started, and I get a handwritten note. And I think that's the first 
handwritten note I've gotten from any company. I've gotten a yeah. couple more now uh, recently, but definitely like, yeah. I, I know. Like I listened, there was like some comment, I don't remember who it was, but they were like, oh yeah, it's just something we thought of. And I was like, I was like, there's been like 5,000 notes of ours that have been shared, like, and you follow mm-hmm. us. So maybe, I mean, I'm glad to see you do it and I'm, I think everybody should do it, but. Yeah. yeah. It's so, it's so simple. And yet we live in a world where actually seeing some ink kind of smear on the kind oh, yeah. of receipt page like or something. something and I'm like, I'm like <laughs> catch it out on that. <laughs> I'm like, God, this guy's going to think I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, I just spelled that word wrong and now it looks terrible. And <laughs> There's like a couple people that I feel like I'm like pen pals with. Like, yeah. <laughs> like well, it, it definitely I've produces a hundred like notes. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge uh, friendship slash approachableness. I feel like I could reach out to you partly because you've written me I don't know, 25, 30 notes or something like yeah. that. <laughs> no, I, th- I, do, I do think that's really important. And I think that I'm glad that that approachableness is, has been part of it because we do want, we want, like I've mentioned earlier, we want everybody to come in here and feel like good about coming in and even better when they leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like, that's at the forefront what no matter what their background is like as far as fishing like that's pretty irrelevant uh and 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 just like be a person in a in a shop that's like Mm -hmm. your time is valuable and what you want to learn is valuable and we're there to do it so yeah yeah it's it's really cool i've been rooting for you guys for a long time just because I have such a passion for somebody like you who kind of drops everything to fully invest into something like this. And I remember when COVID kind of started, I was, I feel like I created this bad addiction where it was to get me through the week of not knowing what was going to happen. I at least knew a spawn (laughs) package was coming my way. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, that was, it was a, it was a pretty interesting time, especially for us as a company. I mean, it was like, I mean, every outdoor company that was Mm -hmm. in a, in a space, like excelled, frankly, Mm -hmm. like, but then there was like lulls, like we didn't have a retail shop and we, at the time we didn't sell hard goods. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to get into fly tying when like there, there's an element of fly tying where like and fly fishing where it's like hands-on like people want to come in and and learn and do and Mm -hmm. or at least at least feel like they're coming in and and learning and doing and it's like really hot and then nothing it's like it was it was a pretty interesting time i think we learned a lot as a company and we just focused on what what we could control write better notes connect with our customer base better um and like the things that we couldn't control we just like pretty much ignored the testing site like the hazmat oh, suits like if you got yeah. our front window during covid like that was that's that crazy was it. <laughs> it was right there. and we were like quote unquote unimpacted we didn't get uh like i mean everybody that owns a business applied for it but like we didn't mm-hmm. get any of that 
uh code relief money which oh man my other buddy just like got tons of money i was like what yeah and i'm like it's like all forgiven there's just like a huge revenue boost for him i'm just like this is ludicrous <laughs> and you can like look it up and it's just like i was like looking up everybody and that all my buddies and i'm like you got what <laughs> it's just like mm-hmm. uh but literally like it was across the street so it was like our first like couple months of like owning a fly shop like the people that would generally come in are like oh yeah like my husband's over getting tested i've always wanted to get into fly fishing and i'm just like, oh my gosh i'm like oh my god That's i'm so crazy. thankful you came in but like that is just like the wrong reason like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like uh, can you look me uh, up online please <laughs> uh, but like at the time like i'm just like so stoked somebody's willing to like come in and we're like building the shop out right like mm-hmm this week we do a youtube video we got finally got a freaking barcode scanner to like check people out and it's like every step of the way like people like yourself have built the shop frankly like mm-hmm. nope, it's like spawn community funded like yeah uh, yeah so it's it was like really cool to have somebody come in and i didn't want them to not come in so they like come in and then like two months later they come in and they're like oh wow like this is new and then like six months later they come in and they're like wow mm-hmm that's cool and then now they come in and they're like this is this looks like a real shop like this is yeah. awesome like so so proud of you and your team and everybody that is a part of this and i'm like it's all thanks to you guys so it's, yeah. that's been pretty it's funny uh i listened to a podcast the other day where somebody was just simply talking about growing growing their business but talking about it like it was a person who was yeah. either kind of they are so candid and open about how the business was doing that the whole community is rooting for the business even like they're rooting for the person but they're also rooting for the business to excel and i feel like spawn like man some of the best fly tires i know online are all connected to you you know yeah and what's cool is like uh is it's so community based. Like we don't have a pro staff. We don't have an ambassador mm-hmm. team. Like it is strictly a community uh, that is like very organic. Nobody's like paid to say something like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's like so cool in that sense that in, in a way we've almost like built uh, a community that is like also like pretty well respected. They're like, Oh, okay. Like mm-hmm. that's awesome. You get stuff from there. Like, or you've been down there or, or you're, you're friends with Pete or you're friends with Josh. And it's just like really cool. And it like connects the dots and uh, that, yeah, that part's been really cool. It's like the community that is built. And I think that like equating it to like a person is pretty clever mm-hmm. because it does like grow, evolves and changes. Yeah. Uh, and I think if we got like, quote unquote, like sick, like a person did, I, I think you and every other person would be like, what can we do? Which would be totally cool. Yeah. I think that that's sadly something that people forget a lot of times when it's not mentioned that much in the corporate business side of things. But if you said, Hey, like we actually didn't make our monthly goals at spawn and it's looking like we might Mm -hmm. have to close our shop or, you know, something. Yeah. I bet, people would be like, I don't even care. I'm buying half of your merchandise <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> I would never put that on everybody, but no, yeah, no, yeah no, that's really cool to hear that. Uh, 
I mean, we're like all businesses, like we've had like definitely had sleepless nights, like cold mm-hmm. sweats, like is this gonna work? Like I just bought five grand worth of freaking chenille, like and mm-hmm. I have no money for groceries. Like what yeah, what's happened? <laughs> Am I gonna sell the chenille? Like and then we pull through. So it's like <laughs> That's uh, one thing that is really hard with fly tying is it actually with how expensive t- tungsten is, how expensive good hooks are, people are like, yeah. hey, like I had this guy, he was an older um, kind of like a friend's dad. Yeah. Basically say like, hey, can like I heard that you made flies. Can you make this one fly for me? Yeah. And it was a hopper pattern. So it kind of had like some intricate ties where you're tying the pheasant tail legs where it's not with rubber, not with the rubber legs, but with the pheasant tail, just like a little bit more intricate. Yeah. And he was like, I'll give, I'll give you $2 and 50 cents for the fly per fly. And I was like, that alone is $2 just for the hook. No, yeah, that's that's really challenging. I mean, I think you've like, I feel like you maybe responded to some of my stories. Like, I don't do custom fly orders unless you're mm-hmm. like a dentist or a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Has to do with financial situation at all. It has to do with like the fact that I have like no dental insurance and terrible health insurance. And yeah. at some point, I will cash in on that when my tooth starts hurting. But I will tie your flies if you are one of the two. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that's that's like a pretty common misconception and and like yeah and and not only that like your time to tie that is like it's like well what do you what does that individual do and you're like okay so what do you make an hour well Mm -hmm. don't don't you think that my time is is i made three dollars an hour today (laughs) yeah it's like it's like don't you think mine's kind should be kind of close yeah (laughs) so my last question revolves around fly tying but do you make all your fly patterns? Um, it seems like a lot of them involve the spawn uh, molded head yep. or kind of like the football bead. It's a, yep. it's a lot of streamer-based imitations, whether that's for trout or like yep. saltwater fish. Do you come up with those patterns yourself or do you do just a lot of research for that yeah no i'd say that i i should do way more research i mean there was a time recently when like somebody came into the shop and they asked me if i like knew this person and i like Mm -hmm. i'm like very honest like i was like no and they were like kind of offended and then i like looked the person up and he's like this like really renowned fly tire and i was just Mm -hmm. like uh but like no i i generally don't like i see what people tag us in on instagram just because it's like linked to my phone and like a lot of inspiration comes from the community for sure uh but most of the time i'm just like sitting at the vice being like okay this worked this didn't mm-hmm. uh, and then like you know always integrating like every pattern that we put out like has to basically have some element of spawn involved in it whether it's like our spawn semi seal our jig shank our football bead our spawn heads mm-hmm. uh always having like some element of that and involved in the design of it. And I mean, there is what people don't see for a fly tire. is like, you see like these really cool flies that everybody posts on Instagram, but like all I would maybe, maybe not all, but I would assume most of us have like a bin of just like 
flies. It just didn't quite pan out, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was a, there was like a couple of kids that were in the shop last summer, and they were like they wanted to get a fly, but they're like their mom didn't want to buy some because they were expensive. And mm -hmm. I was like, wait right here, <laughs> and I like took out That's the bin. That's so like, funny. I was like, this is like trick or treat. Like grab a handful. Like, <laughs> that's awesome Take as many as you want and, I, and and they probably all work just fine but they just didn't like look or feel so i think a lot of that is like and i mean i fish them all too so it's like if if i do something that's like i want it to be known that like i definitely have put this one to work uh one on that comes out on youtube next week though that i haven't fished but i do disclose that in the video uh-huh that's good or it was for somebody else that's awesome uh, i'm very confident that it would work <laughs> well i think that that goes back to being a good fisher is that you just understand what works well and after you've tied enough you understand how certain yeah. materials move and if it like has an articulation or it has a weight in a certain way you know how it's going to work before you even fish it 100 yeah i mean that's to some degree why I think lures catch fishermen before they catch fish is they yep. have seen something like it. And they're like, I need to take this and add that and then put those together. And then all of a sudden that will work, you know? And, uh, I, I really appreciate that side of creativity. Half of my fun in fly fishing is catching a fish on a fly that I, kind of saw on Instagram and was like, you know what, that actually I think is going to work, you know? And sure, a lot of people yeah. are like, it doesn't have a name. It doesn't have a, any, you just kind of saw it and put uh, it together and it's. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like you're like, Oh, I take a little element of this, a little element of that. And that's what makes it fun, you know? And it's, uh, yeah, and no, most of them don't have a name. I didn't even until we started getting them produced. They were like, "You got to come up with a name," and I'm like, uh, how about, <laughs> how about "Fly Number One," and they're like, "No." Yeah, <laughs> I'll assign it as skew and a UPC, and they're like, "No, you got to name it." That's <laughs> you're like skew number four, five, or seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's four, five, seven is the one. It's the yeah, like, people, will, people will know. <laughs> like if, as long as I fill it up, they'll just call it a four, five, seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. No. I laugh because uh, the photography for tying flies is harder than it is to tie the fly a lot of times. For sure. Like, especially now we're like diving into YouTube. Our YouTube game was like not strong. And now I feel like we're doing a really good job at like putting out content on it. And it's just like, okay, how do I photograph this like mm -hmm. epic fly that Peter I tied and it's like to get Pete to catch their attention and mm -hmm. like showcase the fly. Is uh, Pete the really blue dumb. lines fly? Blue river flies. Yeah. Blue river flies. That's right. Yeah. That's what I thought. He creates his photography always seems to be on yeah, he's point. Spotted. Yeah. He's dialed. No, yeah, and then and then the naming of flies is like so crazy too because it's just like that's actually like one of my definitely my big pet peeves in the industry is like people that push people out of the sport and one of those people is the person that like harasses somebody on Instagram for like mm -hmm. naming a fly that like 
closely resembles something they tied and posted on Instagram like four years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, leave that person alone. <laughs> like, yeah. And if you look in like a fly catalog, so like we are a dealer for all the big fly companies and it's like, they all, there's like so many that look so similar and it's like, those guys all can get along. So like, why can't we on Instagram? Yeah. Like, well, I think that that's, what's funny is people ask this all the time, but for trout, there's basically for the most part, three different flies, a midge, a caddis and a mayfly, but your BWO mayfly pattern, you can only divert so much before you're tying somebody else's fly anyways, but the simple pattern of it having a tail and then a body and then kind of like a shoulder and a bead is like, I could tie this in bright orange or tie it in this color, that color. And it would probably all catch fish because it's resembling a mayfly. But if you tied it with a copper wire instead of a gold wire, all of a sudden that's like a copyright infringement idea. (laughs) It's not the case. There's so many that maybe it is, but I don't, I've in the fly catalogs, it's like gold wires done by so-and-so copper wires done by so-and-so blacks done by so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah it's that that part's pretty crazy actually it's really interesting that's why i I don't know what it is but obviously this is the type of thing that keeps you in business but i have such Mm -hmm. a bad problem of saying like oh but i need to tie my pheasant tail with a lime green wire not oh absolutely it makes all the difference (laughs) it makes all the difference that's gonna catch me 10 more fish i have like 400 colors of one product (laughs) any color will work yeah that's that's a that is definitely something but it also is like something that we keep in mind when we're like creating a product we're like okay how many colors do you make before somebody's like okay josh there's no way in hell you fish 400 different colors of semi-seal like yeah yeah you know it's like a whereas like sometimes you they there's like an instance where you're like oh i just wish it was like a little bit different and the the good thing most of the most of our target species out here are like really opportunistic where it's like they're opportunist the opportunity and the presentation of the fly is is more valuable than like the color in in a lot of cases Mm -hmm. uh unless it's peach peach always works but (laughs) (laughs) but but uh but there's been times when i lived in colorado and i'm like fishing with one of my really good friends there and it's like he has this stone fly that like is like I'm fishing something that's gold and his is like goldish, tannish, brown, yellow. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, what is even that color? Like and the fly tying industry has like such a hard time discerning what's like what is kingfisher blue or like what is olive? And it's just like <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny because but then he like catches 10 fish more than I did. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, give me one of those. And then I cast and instantly catch one. I'm just like, okay. That's maybe, so funny. Maybe, maybe there's something to this. And it's just like constantly learning. There's a joke in uh, the sport fishing world where let's say everybody is on the boat is uh, casting surface irons. The first fish that's caught, let's say it's on a mint surface iron. Yeah. That that jig is going to be the hot jig of the day because then everybody's going to fish a mint jig and then yeah. you only catch fish on that color. So there's exactly. if you fish this, the wrong fly long enough, it becomes the right fly. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, but I have heard some days, obviously, like everybody was using blue, and then the one guy who had a red surface iron, he was crushing yeah. it, and nobody else was. And you're like, I wish I had a red surface iron in my, you know, tackle box right now. But oh yeah, or they're like, yeah, they're talking about like a wing fall versus a flat fall or something, and like the way it drops, just like a teeny bit different. And then yeah. you're like, okay, well maybe I need to add an extra spawn <laughs> nine millimeter shank on the end of that articulated yeah. flat and maybe that little <laughs> added extra movement because it will change the movement a little bit is like yeah. the ticket and then sure as hell is like it is the ticket and you're like okay yeah yeah that checks out <laughs> i think that's obviously what keeps us coming back you know and yeah if pheasant tail with a peacock feather worked every time that's exactly what I would use, but sometimes you need pink on it, you know? And yeah, well, and the, the crazy thing is like now when I tie, it's like, I know I can go catch fish on something, but like, I'll tie something different just mm-hmm. so like, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, I have this idea or I saw this, this, and I want to try this and yeah, I could go out there with something that I know already works, but I'm like, okay, well, I'll tie three of those up and stick them in the box and mm-hmm. uh, and go out there and get after it and see what see what happens. But my big thing is where uh, it's so crowded and popular in certain areas that I fish is I do look for those slight changes, and yeah. I think that's where Instagram has helped me a little bit because my fly is going to look a lot different than somebody else's. You know, I might have that certain color paradigm that nobody else has used and that just might be the ticket. Yeah. And then exactly. No, I think, I think Instagram is pretty good at doing stuff like that or just social media in general, like learning from other anglers. Uh, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to tying, uh, there's so much content out there right now on tying and what to do and how to do it. And mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think, they, I think that's really, I, I think the media that surrounds tying right now is re- pretty dang cool. It's like, uh, almost like a learning how to paint like Bob Ross idea, except it's all fly tying. It's like, you can yeah, spend you your whole you life. Bob Ross. Exactly. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you've, you've kind of, I've been spotty fishing a lot more with my bait caster lately, but I'm understanding that we use these things called Ned rigs a lot. And basically it's a worm that just floats kind of up. It has a weight on the bottom and then it floats. And basically it, you could do that with the football head and the galaxy mop chineal. Yeah. And that's exactly a Ned rig. So as I'm learning more about how to spotty fish, you're inspiring me to take back the fly rod. There you go. I think there's this one dude down there, Glenn Ueda, maybe Glenn. Mm-hmm. Glenn. Yep. Yeah, I see what he does quite a bit. He's, I never talked to him, but it seems like he does some pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that guy that I mentioned, uh, Von Podmore is in that kind of group of guys that, they all fish together or used to at least i'm not sure now but they used uh, to i'm i'm honestly like pretty envious like you should you should be you should buy a boat is what you need to do well my my brother has a boat but i got a float float tubes 
uh, two weeks ago. So I'm going to start going out in the bay and just being on the float tube, which. if Yeah, like people, they're like, oh, it's a nasty day. And I'm like, see we like can make the it. weather on Instagram. And I'm like, bro, I'm like, that is about <laughs> as good as it gets out here. Like, yeah. I'd be like off of Catalina Island with my 11 foot whaler, just like full send all the way yeah. out there. Yeah. That's, so swim it, right? So you could definitely take a boat out there. Didn't somebody think- swim I think uh, that's one of the big things that, so my brother bought a boat two years ago and now we've done enough work and tested it in a way enough that you basically just have to sign up for the day and be like, all right, we're going to get thrashed, but we're going to catch fish, you know? Yeah. And the thrashing's not that bad. (laughs) What do you mean tested it? Like Like, ran it to Catalina enough that we feel comfortable. Yeah. Gotcha. (laughs) I'm like, uh. <laughs> the first couple times you get nervous because yeah. like he had a couple engine problems it's a lot farther out there than people think like yeah it's, miles or something, 25 26 miles. miles is a long pretty long on a boat he only yeah, has an 18 cool. foot uh skiff so you feel like you're traveling for a long time no for sure that's that's cool though i mean if i went out if i tried to even think about going out and the ocean out here on the day like that, yeah, I would just die on the Columbia River bar. The, <laughs> yeah. end of, the end of Josh right here. He just Josh thought he could catch a tuna on in his little whaler. And yeah, died. exactly. <laughs> but that's that's what adventure is all about. People go across that, and I'm just like, man, that is so dangerous. Isn't it uh, that area where you live, and then Deception Pass or? twofold the most dangerous places to to have a boat the current moves so fast that it you can't i mean i know the columbia river bar is like one of the deadliest like it is a no joke yeah and and we've thought about that it's like how do you so like people are always wanting to do like the hardest place to fish like people i don't Mm -hmm. like especially with people with with money like yeah what what's challenging like everest is no longer cool because it's like they made it not as hard or whatever is like yeah. that I I've read online. Uh, I can't speak to it. I've never done it. I'm sure it's very challenging. If you've yeah. done it, Bob's <laughs> to you. That's unbelievable. But like going into the jungle and catching this fish and these challenging experiences that surround mm-hmm. fisheries, like the Columbia River bar is mean. And there's like, no, I can't think of really too many harder places that I've mm-hmm. seen where it's like everything generally is stacked against you. Yeah. Uh, so, but the days that it's nice out there can be very cool. I know. There's a certain magic it seems like where when it's nice, it's so yeah. nice. I it, I mean, yeah. Last night uh, there's this guy from Noah <clears throat> that lives in town and he invites me out to fish. But since my mm-hmm. shoulders jacked, I just like drove his boat last night. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it was so nice too. I'm just like keeping it in an idle, and we're just like staying right on the jetty, and it's just like they're catching fish, and it yeah. was really cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Josh, it's been a real pleasure. Um, I just am so inspired by what you do with Spawn, but also you yourself as a person, and I'm glad that we finally got to meet and talk. But uh, yeah. yeah. Anytime you come down here or when you're coming down here in November, if you want to fish, uh, let me know and I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely hit you up and, and yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. 
we should do it again in I don't know, whenever spaced out enough makes sense. Yeah. There's so much more fishing stuff to talk about and I'd love to get into the weeds anytime yeah. with you. So Yeah, we didn't well, even touch on Sierra and Cutthroat. So one time we should talk on that because I think that is a epic fishery. We, we will. What I might need to do is come up and fish it with you and then <laughs> we'll yeah. talk about uh, it. We have a we did a video with Catch Magazine. That's going to be really freaking cool when it comes out on YouTube. So Awesome. Well, I'll uh, make sure to watch, watch it and also pass it on. Yeah. You're uh, my number one mention when anybody is trying to get into fly fishing or tying flies. So, uh, you know, anything I can do to help. Though. Don't don't forget that. We do sell rods, reels, waders, the whole nine yards now. Yeah. So it's, it's been hard to like breach that of like telling people like, no, you can get this here too. You're not just bucktails. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I make a lot more money when you buy a rod from me than when you buy bucktails. So yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> awesome. We'll have a great, great night and uh good luck with the shoulder and good luck fishing this summer for sure. Sounds good. I really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, thanks again. See you, Josh.